0: A well-known apologist uh, in the body of Christ. And he said, it's funny how we've built a doctrine and theology around women in ministry. When the first person that Jesus appeared to out of the tomb was a woman, and that woman went to go evangelize the disciples and tell them that he is risen. She was actually the first to share the gospel. Another woman we know who poured out the oil upon Christ's feet, he said this story will go to each generation, it will, it will spread like wildfire. And so, listen, we're pro-woman at this church. If you're not, I'm sorry. Um, but we'll pray for you, maybe after service. Don't email me. Um, don't, don't talk to me afterwards. Just, just be fine with it. But you're not going to be disappointed. We are blessed to have the better half of the McDonald family bring the word. Let's... <laughs> no, he knows I'm joking. Listen, Gary... They, they, he knows, he knows. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the blessing of this family. God, we thank you for the blessing of this woman. And God, we, just, we can count it a privilege to stand under the wisdom and the teaching of this person. And so, Lord, just ascribe your word upon our hearts as she speaks, Lord, never to be the same. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.
1: God, I ask for your mercy this morning, God. I want to ask for what God wants spoken to you. He said, please tell them that if they do not embrace holiness now, they will not, they will not survive what is to come. If you do not wrap your head around what he has asked of us, And what he is continuing to ask of us now in a peaceful time. It's not that your physical body will be at risk. It is your salvation that will be at risk. Because you will fall into compromise. So God, I ask that your heart would be revealed this morning, God. I ask that you would bring greater understanding to those places where we have misunderstood you, God. God, I ask that you would put a hunger in us for your word, God. God, God, I ask that your heart and your love for us would be revealed. That passion that chases after us, God. That we would run to your face this morning, God. For the glory of your kingdom and your great namesake. Amen. Amen. I feel like this is going to be one of those messages that... You know, the person just stands there and cries before you, because that's what it feels like. The weight of this is so heavy that, that it's crumbling. It feels crumbling. So let's jump right in and see how far we get. In the book of Exodus 34, 29 through 35, actually I'm going to do a lot of scripture today, so please don't go like looking for it, because then you miss what's being said. Just listen, okay? Put, your, put everything down and just listen, Okay. So Exodus 34, 29 through 35 is Moses. And he's coming down from Mount Sinai with the tablets. And when he gets down to to see the leaders, Aaron and the the leaders, they look at him and his face is shining because he's been in the presence of God. And again, in, in Philippians, Paul tells us that we are made to shine. We are called to be light. We are called to be salt in our generation and the only way we get rid of darkness isn't by taking buckets and darkness and throwing it out the window. The only way we dispel darkness is with the light of our countenance, like Moses, who shone because he had been in such beautiful contact with God. I'm going to do a lot of reading initially, so bear with me, um, because there's, there's a point, and it's a little bit later on, but we need to build on it. We're supposed to look different. We're to shine in a world full of darkness and dullness. We are called to radiate from the inside out, to be different. Like with the Amish, when you see Amish people coming, you know they're different from the outside. We are called to be that from the inside. When people engage us, they are supposed to say, different, beautiful, dazzling. That's what I want to be like. They have something that I don't have, that I am lacking. That's what we're called to be like. And that shine and that difference comes directly from the pursuit and a reaching of personal holiness in our lives. It is not a graduate Christianity thing. It's a fundamental Christianity 101 issue. Holiness is basic and foundational to our walk with Christ. It's a standard that he sets for those he calls his own. It's a standard for the children of God. Jesus lived at 100% holiness, and he was a magnet. He purposefully was made not beautiful. He purposefully did not dress like a king, but he didn't need to do outreaches. Thousands flocked to him to hear what he had to say, to seek his counsel, to be with him. He'd had to go run and put himself away so that the people would stay away from him so he could spend time with God. That's, that's shining at 100%. That's that shining where people stop you on the subway and say, there's something about you. Like, what is it? That's 100%. And I think we've set the bar really low. Yeah. We've set the bar at like 5%. And God's saying... Come on up here. Come on up here. Things are really different up here when you live up in this place. Holiness um, basically is the undergirding attribute of God, of who he is. Everything about God is holy. We see in Isaiah, he sees God, and the first thing he says is, Oh, I'm unclean. My lips are unclean, and I live among a people who are unclean. That's his first instant thought. He is unclean. And then we see the same thing in Revelation. In when John is taken up to heaven, he looks at the throne room, and all he hears is holy, holy, holy. The elders are throwing down their crowns, which is their life's work. They throw it like nothing because he is holy. And I've heard someone say that they're saying holy, holy, holy continually because every second there's a new attribute of that holiness, of that beauty, of that dazzling being, and they're just blown away. Down they go again. Holy, holy, holy. It is the undergirding of all of who he is. His love is a holy love. His mercy is a holy mercy. His anger is a holy anger. And his joy is a holy joy. He says in Leviticus, which actually Leviticus, if you didn't know, 90% of Leviticus is God's, God's own words. So of all the books in the Bible, if you want to hear what God thinks about something, Leviticus. It's an awesome book. Some people think it's really boring. It's not. It's amazing. So Leviticus, and then Peter repeats it again. And what does he say? He says, be holy, for I am holy. And as I was preparing this message, I'm like message, I'm like, God, that's like a tall order, because you're perfect and we're not. So so what are you getting at? And I think what he's getting at is just as every part of God is holy, he wants every part of us to be holy. And our fullness in this regard will probably not be not made until we get to heaven but what he's concerned about is the reach of our hearts what are we reaching for when we reach for 100 percent holiness god rules and reigns in our life we like moses will shine when i asked people when we were talking about doing this and it felt like it was almost like a cloud you know you couldn't really grasp at holiness and so i started asking people okay i'm going to say a word and you tell me what you think Okay, one, two, three, holiness. And and it was amazing what people said, because I asked Christians and non-Christians, you know, you want to get the whole gamut. And at the end, when I was searching scripture and thinking about everything and just praying about it, my conclusion is, is that holiness is the highest form of love. It's the highest form of love. It's the way we love God best, is walking in holiness. It's the place that that shine comes from, and it's a wholehearted condition. It's not the reward of a good deed contest. Holiness is like a race car that ry- rides on the highest octane. I have a car, and on the gas, the gas thing, it says, use hot premium grade. And I can tell when my kids take the car, and they put cheap gas in my car, <laughs> because it doesn't... Sure, Brian, you laugh. You try to get on the ramp, you know, and you think you're going to barrel and you're like putt, putt, off you go. But it's true. The car does not run as well on cheap gas. When I put in the right amount of gas, I can fly in my car. And that's the way it is with us. That's the way it is with us. It's high octane and it's the way we were created. It's our inheritance to run this way. I think holiness is a sacrifice. As Daryl talked about last week, Holiness requires things and it costs us things because we have to say yes and we have to say no and it's constantly making that decision. And I just wanna say for me, the person who has taught me the most about holiness, about living this way and about actually modeling what that looks like day in and day out is Mike Bickle of IHOPKC. I think that man is a present day sign and a wonder for us if we have eyes to see, if our spirits are sharp enough to perceive what that man is doing and has done. It is, it is unbelievable. He has so many prophetic words, and he's the only one I know right now whose prophetic words are, boom, coming to pass, coming to pass, coming to pass. Because for 40 years, this guy is day in, day out, in the mediocrity of his life, living, reaching that 100% for God. Probably the most powerful thing I've read besides the Bible and unlocking the Bible, um, my top two faves, is the series Mike Bickle did called Living the Fasted Life. It's 14 sessions, so it's you know going to take you 20 hours. But if you can do one-fifth of what that man has done in terms of setting goals, planning your life, understanding what you're on this earth to do, and walking that out... You will be so far ahead of the game. I bet you Mike Bickle is gonna have the biggest house in heaven because he understands rewards. He understands the point of this life and that's how he lives his life. It's amazing. So anything you can get by Mike Bickle um, because he's a prolific writer um, because he understands rewards. He understands the more people that get the message that comes from him, his fruit is exponentially sown He gets it, he gets it. But anyway, that's my shout out to Mike Bickle because I'm really thankful for him in my life. Holiness is when our actions match our prayers, when we really give our lives to Christ, when we understand that our eyes are not our own eyes. Our thoughts are not our thoughts. Our hearts, our hands, our tongues no longer belong to us but to him because we gave him our lives, didn't we? Or did we? Did we give him something just enough so we make it into heaven? But everything else is off limits. My eyes are my eyes. You can't have my eyes. You can't have my thought life. Your thought life, by the way, is where sin is birthed. No one walks into sin without not thinking of it first. So that's why it says take every thought captive. If you've got something going on in your mind, my father used to, when we were being disciplined, and he had a brogue, he was a really sweet guy, so he would, you know, would be standing up and, and he, would, he would be saying, you know, this is your discipline, and, and I would just smile at him because I loved him so much, it was really hard to be like, you know, and he would say, now take that smile off your face and throw it on the ground and step on it, you know, <laughs> and I'd be like, okay, Dad, make me laugh even more, but, but that's what we should do with sin, We should take it and throw it on the ground and step on it. Phone a friend, okay? because that's where the battle is. You know, by the time you're acting it out, chances are you're done for, right? If you've put yourself in a room, if you're an alcoholic and you've walked into the bar, you're done for. But if you have a thought, maybe I should go to the bar, call a friend and things stop there, don't they? Right? They stop there. Every thought must be taken captive if we're to succeed. Psalm 139, 22 through 24, David says, Search me, O God, and see if there is anything in me that is offensive. I believe holiness is having our entire being opened up to his searching eyes. Everything. And you know, Jonathan Edwards, we've been talking about revivalists and everything. Jonathan Edwards, every night, prayed that prayer before he went to sleep no tv, no ipad, no texting. search me o oh god, is there anything that i have done today that has dishonored you? did i say anything that caused pain? show me what i did that made you happy with me. and that's how he ended his day. I believe that, you know, Daryl was talking about the list we keep of all of our sins, but I think that's just merely uh, their symptoms of a condition that's much greater and much deeper within us. I have a friend, and she's a uh, homeopathic dermatologist person. Anyway, um, she has people come to her all the time with acne, with teenagers with acne. And, And she laughs because she says, they want me to treat the symptom of their skin, it's, it's not about their skin. It's about their dietary habits, right? It's about their hormonal imbalances. That's what acne's about. But we just want the symptom to go away. Wow. We want the ugliness to go away, don't we? And, we, and the easier, the better. So just stop that. Yeah. Just stop that. That's what we say, right? Just don't do it anymore. Stop it. But really, there's a greater issue underneath. And we're just going to keep running back and running back until that place is filled in us. And the space, the problem, is the presence of God. It is walking closely enough with God that when temptation comes, we look at it and we say, compared to him, you are ugly and not worth it. And we run as fast as we can to our Father. It's easy to say the right things, but God is looking for people who are so in love with him that all they want to do is say and do his things his way. And some of you might be saying, like, does this even matter? What's the difference? Can I live at 5%? I want to live at 5%. I like sin. I like the way it feels. Does it really matter? Do I have to reach for the 100%? And I would say, oh, it really, really matters. It really, really Matters. It matters here to you individually. It matters to us corporately because God sees us as a corporate body besides being individuals. And it matters to you eternally. Probably for the past six months. I've been kind of going back and forth with God, like I didn't get, There felt like there was something not right here, and I couldn't quite put my finger on it, and I was like, God, you know, I mean, prayer room, I mean, especially the Friday morning prayer set, is it not like the most amazing thing, Daryl, just, it's awesome, it's awesome, yeah, we are, we are, we are, and, and Saturday nights is good, you know, go sometimes Saturday nights, And, like, worship here is good, and everybody treats everybody kindly, but my problem was I wasn't feeling his presence. Like, I know if everything's working on the oars that I see, his presence should be far more tangible than it is. We should be seeing healings. Not like healing, oh, I think I got healed, next week it's back. No, like... I can, I can see. I can hear. And, and it was bothering me, and I just kept after it, like, God, what is, what is going on here? Because I've been in places. Gary and I are really old. We have seen, like, we've seen things happen in the body of Christ before. We have seen hands open up. We've seen disease healed. We've seen food multiplied. We've seen people like on the floor not able to walk because the presence of God is so thick. Literally, people crawl out the door. We have seen that. But everything that we're experiencing here says that we should be seeing that as well. So when we were praying that Sunday and God said, they're not getting without holiness, I thought, Oh, because if God says we need holiness, what does it mean? He's being nice. He's saying we're lacking holiness. As a corporate body, we are lacking holiness, and everything stops. We go no further because it's a staple. It's a foundational element, and we've got big cracks. And he's saying, time out, kids. Time out. There was also uh, probably about eight, eight weeks ago. I mean, I think this holiness thing is something that is going to go through the entire body of Christ. I've seen it before. Gary and I have seen this wave of holiness go before, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But um, I was praying for a leader in the body of Christ. (laughs) No, it's not Daryl or Bethany. And I was just praying for them. And what I saw was suddenly the mountain of the Lord, and I knew immediately this is the mountain of the Lord. And this leader had all these people walking behind them, and they were on-ramping to the mountain of the Lord. So they're coming up from the left. And suddenly, I see from the right this very big, huge angel. And he walks up, and he stands in front of them, very serious. And he takes this humongous thing, which I think the only thing that, that would be similar to it that we know here, it's like a Jersey barrier thing, only it was neon orange. And he picked it up, and he dropped it right in front of them. He blocked them. Who can go to the hill of the Lord? Clean hands, pure hearts, which was not the case with this particular leader at the time. And therefore, not only was the leader going to be blocked, but everybody following that leader would also be blocked. And this, this, this vision says about five million things, but the thing that's important to also know is that the barrier was neon orange. Does anybody know why the barrier would be neon orange? Caution, but um, it's a public block. You don't miss neon orange. So if God publicly blocks you, your sin is exposed very important. He doesn't care about our reputations. He wants us because he adores us, right? And, and lastly, the elephant in the room. Um, you know, when Doug, Doug Stringer was here and, you know, he asked who, if you've been engaged in these four very you know, serious sins, I would say, and 90% of our body stood up. And I hear God say, that's the answer to your question. What's going on? That's what's going on. We're really lacking holiness. Our words and our actions are not in unison. They're not. We pray an awesome prayer game, don't we? But our rewards are not based on our words. Our rewards in heaven are based on what? Actions. We're saved by faith. But your position in eternity is based on what you do here, what you do now for God. Because what's not done for him is going to be burned up, and that's your reward. And Scripture says some will get in there. It's like sliding into home plate. They'll get in there barely by the skin of their teeth with no reward. And then we've got Mike Bickle in the McMansion of heaven because he gets it. Purity is powerful, you guys. It's the most powerful thing you have. Walking in, in purity, both in your bodies and in your hearts and in your minds, is the most powerful thing. It's like atomic weapon. You couple that with fasting, boy, this place would change. and It would change in a heartbeat. And so God says, you know, we have to do our part. We have to do our part, but there are great rewards for those who do their part. For Scripture says, "God in, in 1 Corinthians 2.9, God prepares a place for those who truly love him. God's love language is obedience. No way around that. Sorry, it's not gifts, okay? It's not quality time. God's love language is obedience. If you love him, he says, you will obey me. You will obey me. You might not understand, but toddlers don't understand, you know. Don't go out in front of the car. Okay, they stop. There's not understanding. Well, the car is going fast, and you're not going to make it across the street in time, and you're going to get squished. That's the way it is. We don't understand his ways all the time, but do we trust him enough to say, I don't get it, and maybe I don't even agree, but I know you're who you say you are, so I'm going to do it anyway. I trust you enough to do it. Or... Do we know better? I'm sorry. I haven't met someone smarter than God yet. Gary and I travel a lot, and Gary's really smart, but God is smarter. God is smarter. Right, Gary? Gary's like, yes, he is. He is smarter. But also, um, Scripture says, his eyes search for those who are fully given to him, that he may strengthen them. See, the reward for your effort is he's going to strengthen roll and crumble that you're just not going to fall over when temptation comes. He's strengthening you because he knows your heart's in it for the long haul. He knows your heart is 100% reaching 100. You know, there's a big difference between 98% and 100% reach. You know, having that one little itty bitty thing is costly. It is costly. But that 100% reach... And when when something happens, when you fail, you get up, you say I'm sorry, you run right into his face, what scripture says. In Hebrew, the Hebrew for running, turning back to God is run to my face. It's not run to my turn back because I'm so angry at you. I can't believe you did that. It's run to my face because I know you're going to do that. And I love you and I'm waiting for you to come back to me because I have eye contact with you. Do you ever notice that people that are, have something against you, or if you have something against someone, you can't make eye contact, right? You know, you're looking around, you don't want to look at them, and they don't want to look at you. But and that's called disconnect, right? Emotional disconnect. But God is always connected. When we repent and say we're sorry, arms wide open, come on back home, come on back home, get up, brush us off, and send us right back into the game. It's that easy. It's that easy. So God says, therefore, consecrate yourself. You've got to do your part. The bride in Revelation, the bride makes herself ready. God doesn't make the bride ready. Okay? The bride makes herself ready. Michelle can help with all the plans. (laughs) But... At the end of the day, the bride makes herself ready. At the end of the day, will you consecrate yourselves? Or are you waiting for that magic switch that is never going to go on that's going to get you moving? The Bible is full of if then statements Old Testament, New Testament. And just for the record, holiness is mentioned over 700 times in Scripture. That's epic. That, that's like this message should be, like holiness should be preached probably four or five times per year in every congregation with that level, a percentage of, when, of what it's, you know, how much it's talked about in scripture. Over 16 books. I think it's six, more like 20, but I, you know, quickly counted it was 16 books, Old Testament and New Testament. Holiness is not an Old Testament thing. We're under the grace. We don't have to do that anymore. That's just not true. It's not true. That's a watered-down version of scripture, and it's very dangerous. It's really dangerous. If we can't govern our own hearts and lives in holiness, then he will not be able to use us because he would instead need to judge us as his standards demand, and that's the point. You can live at a very low octane level and skim into heaven, but if you are true to your prayers and you're calling out for revival and you want to see the greater things of God, um, you need to govern yourselves better. You need to govern your lives better. You know, showing up at church, getting out of a car with a guy with scantily clad attire on and then running into the bathroom and putting on your pretty Sunday church best that doesn't cut it, okay? Because it doesn't matter what we see. It matters what God sees. right? We're living before an audience of one. What we think doesn't matter. And as we see all over the news, all over TV, people's outside exterior can be one thing, and inside is a very different issue. So don't assume because someone screams louder in the prayer room than you, than they're walking in this epic version of holiness that none of us can attain. It's just not true. God looks at the heart. He says, man looks at the outside, but God is all about, he is a heart guy, for sure, heart guy. First Thessalonians 4.4, each should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. If you can't take care of yourself, why would he give you a revival to take care of? If you can't take care of yourself, how can you lead a small group? What, you're going to lead them all down the wrong road? The bottom line is, we need to love God more than ourselves. And we really love ourselves. We adore ourselves. We have pages about ourselves. We have Instagram accounts about the things we eat, the food we see. We are all over it, and we are all about ourselves, getting the best education, having the coolest friends, they do have a cute baby, though. They do. <laughs> but really what God's after is that our, our lives are more focused on him, that he is what we are all about. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and everything in it, and everything else will be given to you. You focus on him, all your little problems and your big problems are going to diminish in size. To love God and obey him cannot help and lead to holiness. It will lead to holiness. James says, to the one who loves Christ, he will receive the crown of life. You might not be really familiar with eternal theology and things like that, but you really want the crown of life. And it's only given to some. It's not, you, get, you don't get the pretty crown the minute you walk through into the pearly gates. It's earned here by what you do and how well you love him here. So I think this holiness thing is the highest form of love. And I believe in this season that God is inviting us into the superior place with him. I feel like he has weighed us and he has found us wanting. And that's why we're not seeing, we don't feel his presence in a great way. And so I feel like there's an invitation being handed out. You want to try it again. But this time, you have to really count the costs. Because now when you know you're going to give your life to him, he wants it all. Yes. He wants it all. He wants the reach for it all. I feel like God's asking us to put away the childish things and walk in, a deeper, in the deeper things of God, to choose the meat in, over life instead of the milk, the substantial life of giving spiritual virtues and leaning on them instead of the sweet, fleeting, worldly pleasures that are put before us. He's calling us out of mediocrity into maturity. And I believe this invitation went out to my generation because I kind of feel like I'm living in a time warp. It feels like we have lived this again. And what happened with my generation is we chose to be happy and comfortable. We did. I remember when it happened. We decided we would walk as opposed to run and labor with Christ. We're going to saunter. Thanks so much. We chose compromise, and we got really sloppy. And therefore, nothing happened in my generation. We had no move of God except in Toronto. But it's interesting what they're saying about you guys. Now you have a syndrome. Now there's a syndrome related to this, and it's called the Esau syndrome. And they're saying you guys have the Esau syndrome. And that is the trading of your birthright earthly simple temporal pleasures that's what they're saying like the song of Solomon which is a beautiful love story the Shulamite gets really happy and content in this lower place with with the beloved who is Christ and she loves it there and so he says time to move on time to go to a higher place and she said no I like it under the tree because it's shady and it's so hot outside I'm going to stay here because it's comfortable for me here. I can do what I want to do here. And he says, that's fine, but I'm going up. And he goes up, and she loses his presence. And it's the same invitation that we have today. And we need to take it very seriously and consider it strongly, because no response is still a response. You understand that, right? No response. If someone asks asks you to dance and you don't respond, you're saying no, unless you get up and dance. And so he's asking for a response. And I think there are three ways we can view this holiness invitation. The first one is from the heavenly perspective. And if you don't really get the heavenly perspective thing, Screwtape Letters by C.S. Lewis is a really good book for that. Um, We need to look at it in terms of individuals, and we need to look at it in terms of us as a community. By heavenly, I mean the bigger picture. And we catch glimpses of this bigger picture in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it's the book of Job. And it's the first part of Job that nobody talks about, nobody preaches about, because we hate it. We hate this verse. So Satan goes before God. And they're chatting. And Satan, of course, is the accuser of the brethren. And so he's accusing. and, And God says, have you seen Job? Have you seen my guy, Job? He's amazing. Have you seen my guy, Job? And Satan goes, I've seen him. I've seen him. He loves you. But it's because you've given him everything. You've protected him. You have blessed him. If you take all that away, Job will curse you to your face. And God says, you're on. You just can't kill him. And we hate that, don't we? That we could be part of something that's bigger than us that we really don't even get. We hate that. But it's true there's something bigger going on that we cannot possibly grasp in our feeble little minds and so God says go ahead do it do it and what happens I mean people talk about it's the trials of Job no it's the love of Job because when everything is stripped away the core of that man is I am a child of God take it all away I don't understand you but take it because I need you more than I need this stuff. And then we see it again in Peter, right, just before Jesus dies. He's like, uh, Peter, by the way, it's like, it's like an afterthought. It's like an after-dinner conversation. By the way, Peter, um, Satan is asked to sift you like wheat. I prayed for you that your faith wouldn't fail. But when you return, strengthen your brothers. Can you imagine, Peter, when I return? What do you mean when I return? It's an epic fail, and God lets it happen. In Jerusalem, there's actually like a tourist place this is where Peter failed. This is where Peter denied. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. This is where Peter failed. This is the place. Aren't we glad God's a little more merciful to not, you know than Peter? This is where Kathy and it would be like blocks everywhere. This is Kathy again. This is Kathy again. You know, but but there's something bigger going on, and we have to grasp that for the understanding of what's being what's being asked of us. What are we doing here? It's a war. It's not so much about us. It's about God and his kingdom. That's what it's about. See, God knows what the reader finds out when we read James, that the way to maturity in Christ is through trials and temptations. The the Chinese church Suffering is one of the five pillars of the Chinese church. When you read through scripture, it's very evident that suffering God uses quite a bit. It's huge. And we're always scampering away from that, aren't we? Oh, no, it's too hot, can't go outside, I could sweat, you know? (laughs) Temptations give us insight into who we really are and where we are spiritually. I had a mentor, he has gone home to be with the Lord, but he just pounded this on us all the time. You have got to have private victories before you can have public victories. Private victories are those times when it's just you and God watching. What are you going to do? And he was so bold to say, you need to have a 1,000 private victories before you ever take this. If you are to be successful in this, 1,000 private victories. That's like David's life. Him and the bear. Him and the lion. So when he goes and he sees Goliath, it's like, this isn't my fight. This is God's fight. It's God's fight. I don't have to do anything but throw a rock. This is his job. It's his thing. It's not about David. It's about God. The only way we have private and public victories is by walking closely with Christ, understanding what he has to offer is far superior to what Satan and this world have to offer. God allows temptation so we can see what he already knows. He already knows. But there's always a way out in temptation. He promises us that. Anytime you are tempted, there is a way out. We just need to ask for it and have eyes to see. The lack of holiness in our personal lives keeps us away, keeps God away from us. So like the people that stood up, I'm not being mean to you, but you know, if something's going wrong in your life, things aren't going like at 100-octane beautiful-wonderful, And you're standing up saying you're engaged in that kind of sin at some level, that's the first place you need to look. Right? Because if you're not, if you're walking in sin at any level that's unrepented of, you're blocked. Your prayers are blocked. Things are blocked. Blessings are blocked because he can't come near it. It's like that book, you know, My Heart, Christ's Home. You know, the little children's version I found cleaning out one of my kids' closets. I found it, and, and it was like Jesus going into the little boy's room, he goes, Oh, I can't stay in here. It stinks. And the stink is coming from the closet. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's like what it is. He can't come close. Because it's, scripture says he cannot come close. James says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work in you, that you will be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Count it all joy when things go wrong. Counted all joy when you have trials in your life because he's doing something. He's doing something, so don't fight it. Go along with it. When silver is made, they they throw it in a big, huge vat, and they turn it up really, really high. High, high, high. Highest of high. And as that silver boils, as things get really hot, and it's actually called testing, the dross comes to the surface. And the silversmith scoops it off. Turns it back on super high. Once again, all the dross and impurities come up. And he keeps doing that until he looks into the pot and he sees himself. See, that's the way it is with us. Trial after trial, dross, scrape, dross, scrape, until he looks in and he says, Oh, there I am. There I am in Brian. There I am in Izzy. I'm shining through her now. That's the point. And lastly is community. The lack of community, the lack of holiness in our community keeps God away corporately as well. If there's, you know, 20 people running in full 100% holiness, but we've got 90% that are not, it's not going to work. So we need to be in one accord. Scripture tells us the importance of being one accord. in one accord. And I think the most important thing about this is that we need to be more vulnerable with ourselves and with each other. We can't be always saying, everything's great. Oh, it's great. Everything's great. Everything's great. I'm good because I need to look like I've got it all together, right? That's so important because what will people think if I'm, if I'm having trouble somewhere? But we need intimacy. Into me see. Into me see. We have to let people in to see what's going on with each other. We need to be accountable to one another. You need to have two people at least in your life who are spiritually more mature than you who you do not edit anything. You edit nothing and let them have at your life and your heart. Ooh, I wouldn't do that if I were you. I have been saved by those people many a time, those girlfriends in my life, because they love me enough to say the honest thing. You know, it's great to have your friends say, oh, yeah, it doesn't matter. Oh, yeah, it doesn't matter. Oh, yeah, it does matter. We need to love each other more than we fear each other. The Latin for courage really means showing your whole face, the root of the Latin word courage, and we need to get a little braver, I think. In John, Lazarus, God calls Lazarus out, but what he does is he asks the community to take the, de- the death clothes off. See, Jesus will do the work, but he wants the community to bring wholeness and bring full restoration, and that's what we're called to do. But we need to know we're in trouble. Others are in trouble before as the Titanic, you know, drips into the water. Oh, excuse me. I think I need a life raft. I think I need, I need some help here, you know, blah, 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 as they go down. We need to be on it earlier. While we strive, there is great peace and contentment in being fully in his will, no matter where we are in the process. St. Augustine said it best. Our hearts are restless until they rest in him.
0: Okay. You know, it's always a good thing to heed, you know, um, people who have been in the trenches and who have walked this out and have seen generations succeed and fail in this area. And, um, The very nature of